The following Brother Dunaway tape lecture was made at the Second Western Christadelphian Bible School held at Lake Tahoe in California in July 1952. The subject of his lecture was the nearness of the coming of Christ and God's kingdom. Brethren and sisters and friends, the hundred psalm that you heard read gives us a picture of the future. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. That projects us over now from this troubled condition in which we're in to a state where people will praise the Lord and give praise to him and the third verse says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God, it is he that hath made us. Now the people that he refers to there, this includes the tending and the testing and character development of the saints during this age. It has more than just being born. It has a development a development during this period where we are now. Now, the subject that has been announced is a rather big subject and one that I hope to be able to show you that we're living very, very close to the coming of Christ. There are many things that are taking place. And one of the first things that I want to bring to your attention is the fact that God has selected a people, the Jews, around which his plan and purpose revolves. And when we take into consideration that fact, we can then understand many things that are going on at the present time. I want to read just a few passages to show you that the Jews are God's chosen people. Deuteronomy 7, chapter, and I believe it's the sixth verse, gives us a clue or an insight into God's judgment in regard to Israel. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you or choose you because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. Now we find a little further over in this same book of Deuteronomy, I believe it's the 19th chapter. I want to read a few verses there 
And it's uh, verses 4 to 6. Nineteenth chapter. The fourteenth. No, it's the fourteenth chapter instead of the nineteenth. The fourteenth chapter and verse verses two. We want to get this settled in our minds that Israel is the chosen nation. Now, as an holy people unto the Lord thy God. And the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself of all the nations that are upon the face of the earth. Now again, in Deuteronomy 26, we read this language regarding the same subject, Deuteronomy 26, 18th and 19th verses. And the Lord hath vouchsafed thee this day to be his peculiar people. And he hath, he hath the promised thee, and light is not very good for my old eyes, <laughs> and that thou shouldest keep all his commandments, and to make thee high above all nations which he hath made in praise and in name and in honor. And that thou mayest be an holy people unto the Lord thy God as he hath spoken. You see, there's no guesswork about God's dealings with Israel. He has plainly stated that he has selected. I've talked to a good many people about this and one fellow told me, he said, I think God made a mighty sorry choice. He says, I don't think there's any sorrier people in the world than the Jews. He said, why did he do it? Well, I said, if you believe the Bible, because I love you. Because I love you. He selected the people. Now, <clears throat> I want us to turn here to the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy. And I, if you want to get a view of the Jews, the past, present, and the future, if you'll study the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, you'll find there a picture of the Jews. All of the blessings that are mentioned from verse 2 down to verse 12, all of these blessings were to be given to Israel provided they kept God's commandments and his judgments. All these blessings shall come unto thee. I'm not going to take time to read them, but most of you are familiar with these blessings that are promised to Israel. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come not out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. We all know just as long as Israel kept God's commandments, they were successful in everything that they tried to undertake. Now, all of these blessings are pronounced upon Israel. But there is a condition, but it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of thy Lord, thy God, to observe to do all these commandments, and his statutes, which he commanded this day, 
that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Now there's a long list of curses that are mentioned here from verse 15 on through this chapter. One of the curses is in the 37th verse. And thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations whither the Lord shall lead thee. That's on the condition that they forsook his commandments, went away into idolatry, and so on. And in the 64th verse, the Lord shall scatter thee among all people, from one end of the earth even to the other, and there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among those nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the soul of thy foot have rest. But the Lord shall give thee there a trembling of heart, a failing of eyes, and a sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt. Hasn't that been just literally true? It took down through the ages. The Jews have had these very things that I'm reading to you here come upon them. In the morning I shall say, Would to God it were evening. In the evening I'll say, Would to God it were morning. There is a beautiful condition pictured out to us that the Jews would help them suffer provided they did not keep God's commandments and his statutes. Well, it's a long story, but you know, as well as I know, that the Jews did not keep God's commandments. They've been scattered just as the prophet said they would be. But remember, the last word in the hundred psalms, God's truth endureth throughout all generations. Now God's truth in scattering them has been literally carried out. Now the prophecies regarding the gathering. He that scattered Israel will gather him. Now the gathering is going on now. I think it's the fulfilling of these prophecies that speak about the Lord scattering them from one end of the earth to the other, but there'll come a time when he'll gather them, bring them back. Jacob's trouble will come to an end. So, though I make a full end of all nations, whether I scatter thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. Nations of the past have come and gone. The Jew has been scattered, but he's still here. We see today the fulfillment of the prophecies regarding the gathering of Israel. Now, you take what the Savior said, Behold the fig tree, which is a symbol of the Jewish nation, and that is to be in our day. The picture that's given in the 21st chapter of Luke, beginning at the 24th verse. I think, brethren and sisters, that... It looks to me like that the world at large ought to realize that the times in which we live have been on record nearly 2,000 years. 24th verse says, They, the Jews, should be led away captive into all nations. Hasn't that been literally fulfilled? And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. 
Now, I want to use this chart here. I'm afraid this stumps in your way. Uh, I want to use this chart to show you what I mean by the times of the Gentiles. But I understand the times of the Gentiles began about 606 B.C. and Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon. The prophet says that God delivered into his hands all nations and all nations were subject to the Babylonian Empire. Can you hand me that pointer? Wait, I'll break this thing. I'll try to run with it. Thank you. Now, <clears throat> I'll try to hold this up so you can see it. The sun's right in my eyes, but I'll get it out. Now, the times of the Gentiles, as I understand it, times of the Gentiles are represented by Nebuchadnezzar's image, you'll find in the second chapter of Daniel. We're all more or less familiar with the second chapter of Daniel, so I'll not go into details about it, but simply point that there's been just four universal empires in the earth. Four and no more. The Babylonian was the first. After the Babylonian Empire passed away, we have the Medo Persian. After the Medo Persian passed away, it was a universal empire made up of the Medians and the Persians. And then we came, next came the Grecian Empire. Alexander wept because he hadn't other worlds to conquer. After the Grecian Empire went, uh, went, passed away, we have the Roman Empire represented by the two legs, the Eastern and Western Roman Empire. Where are we with reference to the times of the Gentiles? We're down in this toe period, and in the toe period of the image, we find a different situation, iron and clay. Gold was the most important of these elements, silver, brass, iron, clay, and iron. Now we're told that the iron and clay won't mix. I think the iron represents dictatorship. I think the clay represents democracy. Break up, somebody else takes a place. Now iron and clay is not mixing today. I've said over and over that you take dictators like Mussolini, Hitler, Stalin, you see, they don't mix with the democracies. There's that antagonism. The iron and the clay won't mix. And we see down in the toe period of this image where we are now, we see a condition that exists in the world right at the present time. Now Jesus, speaking of these last days of Gentile times, he said Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is situated on the map, right at this point here, and this little map is a modern state of Israel, in case some of you haven't seen this little map. This is a modern state of Israel. Now, we're told that Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until, now that word until has a lot of meaning, until when? Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, the times of the Gentiles are running out. The times of the Gentiles are breaking up now. They, uh, the nations of the earth are to give way to something else. And they're to give way down in the toe period. And what 
is to take its place. Well, the hundred psalm gives you a picture, but the second chapter of Daniel and the Daniel 2.44 gives you the solution that God has planned. That is, in the days of these kings, the whole period, the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom. Now, if you keep that in mind, who's going to set it up? You'll know that Eisenhower or any of the others of the world are not going to establish peace on the earth. It's not in God's plan for them to do it. But the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. And the next line is, it shall never be destroyed. It's to be a permanent institution. And brethren and sisters, did you ever stop to think, we're heirs to that kingdom today. We're heirs to something that's going to be permanent. Anything that you belong to today may be swept out of existence tomorrow. If you're working in a factory, the factory may burn down and you're left without a job. But the kingdom of God, when it's established, it's to be a permanent institution. It shall never be destroyed. And it shall never be left to other people. Now the reason it'll never be left to other people is this. Those of you who inherit the kingdom of God will not be mortals, you'll be immortals. And if you're immortal, you can't die. If you have a position in the kingdom of God, it'll be permanent. They'll never be left to other people. But what's it going to do? It's going to break in pieces and consume the kingdoms of men, and it's to stand forever. There is something that's definite. There is something that's positive. Now, we, as I see it, are right down in the total period of that image. What is to take place down there? Jesus pictures out what we may see in the last days of Gentile time. What does he say? He says there will be upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. Don't we have that today? Distress of nations with perplexity. Men's hearts feeling them for fear, for looking for those things that are coming upon the earth. On the 22nd of April in Nevada here, one of the greatest atomic explosions in all the history of the world. It shook the territory around. And as far as the military men is concerned, they said it was an absolute success. Men are looking for those things that are coming up on the earth. Their hearts are feeling them. We see something else. The sea. And the waves roaring. The sea is the sea of humanity. The waves are the movement of humanity. Read today's paper. All the ships of the western coast here, many of them, 25 or 30 of them, they're about to stop on account of the radar people striking. There's a wave moving. You see these conditions before us. And they're not only here in... San Francisco, California, but they're all over the world. We've had an aluminum strike down in Arkansas. They've had a steel strike. Well, the people who could manage that said it just before the nomination of a Democratic president was to take place. 
That was time to be touched off right at the proper time. But that steel strike has affected many industries, many people thrown out of work. Millions of dollars of salaries have been sacrificed on account of the steel strike. The coal strike, the steel strike, it's a universal affair. And our congressman said recently that men in the Pentagon are afraid and they've gone out and chiseled out a great mountain in a great mountain, a great amphitheater there where they can run into it in case the atomic bombs are being dropped. Men's hearts are literally failing them for fear, for looking for those things that are coming upon the earth. Now, this condition has been on record nearly 2,000 years. We see the thing that we've been looking for for a long time, the very condition that exists today. What did Jesus say? He says, brethren, when you see these things begin to come to pass, you must know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. The fig tree is a symbol of the Jewish nation. What are the Jews doing today? They're gathering back from six to nine nations. Brother Matt C. up in Canada, just returned from the Holy Land. Had a letter from him while he was in the Holy Land, and he said, the Jewish Post reports that six to nine nations are sending their Jews Even the ancient high places are ours in possession. The ancient high places are Jerusalem. And they're in possession now of those high places. I think it's the fulfillment of that scripture there. We find in the fifth verse, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Surely, in the power of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the nations, and against all Ibunia, which is the Arab countries, which have appointed my land in their possession with the joy of all their hearts, with spiteful minds to cast it out for a praise. Now the Arabs are boasting now that they're in possession. King Abdullah said, I am king in Jerusalem. He was shot and put out. His son came on the throne, and he's crazy now. I don't know what's the matter with him. I don't know. They, I tell you, my folks, my friends tonight, there will be one king in Jerusalem at the proper time, and that king will be Christ. He will choose Jerusalem again, and Jerusalem shall become the city of the great king. We find here, God said, I scattered the Jews among the nations. And when they entered into the nations, whether they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, we are the people of the Lord, and are gone forth out of the land. Now listen. But I have pity for my holy name's sake. I'm gathering you says the prophet, I'm gathering you not for your sakes do I this, says the Lord. God be it known unto you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. As much as to say, a just God 
It looks like we'd just wipe them off the face of the earth. But there's a promise. There's a promise. And God's name cannot be gainsaid. He's doing what he's doing for his holy name's sake. He's gathering them back into this land as he said he would. Now we read, the waste shall be builded, and the desolate land shall be killed, wherein it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. They shall say, this land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. I want to tell you, my friends, tonight, wherever this land has had a year or two of cultivation, it's blossoming as a rose. It's almost literally fulfilling the words of the prophets here. We went up and down this country here, from Dan at the foot of Mount Hermon up here, down to Beersheba. We didn't go down into the naked desert because the road. We couldn't drive down there, but we'd planned to fly down there. But when we went to get passage, it, took, it would be a week before we could get passage. Had small planes. But in this naked desert now, as all of you know, with oil development, and I look for a great oil field to be developed here. But as we went up and down this country, we saw some of the most beautiful agriculture colonies that I've ever seen anywhere. We went into one that had 550 boys and girls working in this colony. The oranges, I've never tasted any oranges like them. The Jaffa oranges are superb. They have no seed. They're very juicy. The rind is very thick. And in this orchard, in this one orchard that we visited, the manager told us that he had already shipped 25,000 boxes of oranges. Where did they ship them? They shipped them to Athens. They shipped them to London. They shipped them to Paris. And they shipped them to the big cities of the East. They send them out in those Jewish airplanes to these different countries. They sell them and buy things that they can't raise in these colonies. When we were there, there were 600 of these Jewish colonies. They were scattered up and down. As we came over the Judean hills, we, could, we were nearly always in sight of from a half a dozen to 15 or 20 of these Jewish colonies. They're coming there from every part of the world almost except Russia, and the United States. Why don't they come from Russia? They won't let them out. But the time is coming. The prophet says to this northern country, give up. Let your people go. And that's going to be yet in the future. God's truth will endure throughout all generations. This little country now has a million five hundred thousand Jews in it about one-tenth of the Jewish population of the world. And that's according to prophecy. About one-tenth is to be gathered back there. Now, has this got anything to do with my subject? The gathering of the Jews. Now, I want to go to the 37th chapter of Ezekiel and show you something there. In this 37th chapter of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel is taken out into a great valley. And the valley was full of bones. And the bones were very dry. And he said, Son of man, can these bones live? O Lord, thou knowest.
Can these bones live? Now, if you begin to talk to people about the Valley of Dry Bones, they have no conception whatever what that represents. If you're going to help somebody to understand the Jewish question, I would suggest that you read the 11th verse. These bones are the whole house of Israel. What do you mean by the whole house of Israel? You mean the twelve tribes of Israel. If this stick represented the twelve tribes, the dry bones represent the whole house of Israel. You remember the division. The division into ten tribes and two tribes. The ten tribes representing the long stick. The short, tri the short stick representing the two tribes. Benjamin and Judah. Now, these sticks, according to God's word, are to come back and be made one nation independent from the mountains of Israel and one king is to be king to the wall. If you take the time to read chapter, this 37 chapter of Ezekiel, the prophet wants to know what you mean by this. And he says, take two sticks. That's the reason I divide this. Take two sticks and write upon it for Judah and the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick. Ephraim was the leading tribe of the ten tribes. Take a stick in the hands of Ephraim and join them one stick in thine hand. In the land upon the mountains of Israel. If you want to have this confirmed, read the 21st and the 22nd verses. See unto them, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel, that's the ten tribes and the two tribes, and I will, uh, children of Israel which have gone among the nations, and I will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. That hasn't been fully developed yet, but the gathering back is a beginning. And that's why we're so pepped up that this is the best evidence that I know that the coming of Christ is near. Now let's get the next line. And I will make them one nation. Now watch them come together. I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel and one king shall be king to them all. Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. The two kingdoms, the kingdoms of Israel and the kingdoms of Judah. Were they ever one nation? Yes, they were one nation when Saul, David, and Solomon reigned over them. Now when they're brought back, they'll be made no more two nations. Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. I believe most of you will live to see that take place. I may not. Some of these older people may not. But the times in which we live indicate that the coming of the Master is certainly close at hand. Now, while this is going on, what are the nations doing? Prepare war. Joel 3, 9 says, prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. You've never seen or read or heard of such war preparation as going on at the present time. They've gone to many billions in this country, and I don't I've just forgotten how many billions they are going to spend for war, war preparation. And the great dogging host represented here by Russia, what are they doing? 
Brothers, sisters, and friends, I have a clipping that I took a few days ago about the power of Russia as a military power. And I want you to listen to these figures. The active Russian force of 4 million armed men, 175 divisions, that's many more divisions than all the United Nations put together. 175 divisions, 20,000 aircrafts, and since this was written on March the 28th of this year, no telling how many airplanes have been finished. 20,000 aircrafts, about 4,000 jets, including some of the MiGs, and 300 submarines. Well, it goes on there and speaks about the great Russian toward the great Russian army. Now we all know that Russia has tried three or four times to come down through the Strait of the Dardanelles and get an opening into the Mediterranean Sea. It's frozen up here. They can't go out up there. And so they want an outlet down through the Dardanelles, which is about here. They want an outlet to the Mediterranean Sea. They've tried three or four times, every time they've been pulled back. England has been instrumental in stopping Russia from coming down. Now, Russia, at the present time, is taking unto herself a great company and a mighty army. All of these Balkan nations and around Persia and Iran, Iraq, and Egypt and Libya are destined to fall into the hands of God, of Ezekiel 38. This dogging host is gathering to himself exactly the kind of an outfit that you read in the 38th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. Now, I want to just refer a few, uh, just refer a few times to this 38th chapter of Ezekiel because that would be the climax of God's plan and purpose to strike down this gargling host. In this, in this 38th chapter, 37th is the gathering of the dry bones, and in the 38th chapter here, we find this language that Persia and Ethiopia and Libya and a great company will all join in with Russia. Now that's what's going on now, developing that great power. That great power, we're told here after many days, thou shalt be visited. In the latter years, thou shalt come into the land that is brought back by the sword. Now this land that he's talking about is Palestine. This land has been taken by the power of the sword. The Jews have fought their way back there. Every bit of the land that they have, they fought for it, and they've given it, and it's been brought back to the sword, and, and are gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel. This is Russia now that comes against my people Israel, gathered out of the nations. That movement is just as certain to take place, brethren and sisters, in the near future. Everything, it seems to me, is ready for it. Why was Eisenhower sent over? to these states over here. 
He was sent over there to unify them and get them ready because they feared that Russia is going to come down into that country. The United Nations now are arrayed on one side and the gargling hosts on the other side. Now, how long it's going to be before Russia makes that move, we don't know. But if you put it carefully, this chapter, the 38th chapter, God shall ascend and come like a storm, I should be like a cloud to cover the land. Supposing 10,000 of those 20,000 airplanes should come down, it would be like a cloud to cover the land. You let a hundred airplanes come over, and it's, it's almost a shadow over the land. But we're told here, thou shalt come from thy place out of the north part. It couldn't be any other nation except God. Thou shalt come from thy place out of the north part. Thy many people with thee, all of them, coming down into the land of Israel, against my people Israel. They're coming down. Now that movement is liable to take place any time. It seems to me that everything is ready for it. What is Russia doing at the present time? She's building up her army while the United Nations army are spending their strength here in Korea. Russia is certainly using her head at the present time all of the Allied nations, including the United States and Britain, are here, fighting in this little territory in Korea. South Korea against North Korea. And I have a magazine here, if I can turn to it. This is the United States News. And this is summed up how the communists figure it. 20% of United States power is tied down 7,000 miles from home. 20% tied down. No Russian military power is tied down. Our power is tied down 7,000 miles from home. Russia, which is back of North Korea, hasn't put a soldier into it, as far as we know, and none of her power is being expended. The United States wants to concentrate power in Europe. That's where they're trying to concentrate their power. That's what Eisenhower was sent over there for. Asia, as a consequence, is the best, most promising battleground. All back in here while the UN forces are trying to concentrate there, Russian forces are developing through communism into these territories back here. War in Korea is a five to ten billion dollar drain on the United States every year. Korean War is a negligible drain on communism. There's practically no drain on communism but it tells us here five to ten billion dollars a year is being spent here in this little territory. <clears throat> Dragging war can stir dissension in the West. 
Isn't it a fact today that many people in this country are getting tired seeing the boys over there and the boys don't know what it's all about? The paper said today 113,680, I believe was the figure, of casualties of our boys in the United States. 113,000. What for? The people are really becoming tired and worried about it. United States unable to win against weak communist forces appears weak to the people of Asia. Here's a great United Nation and they can't whip one little section of that country. That looks funny. Communists standing successfully against the West gain immense prestige through Asia. Communism is appealing to these uh, Asiatic people. United States has announced that she will not try to win. Great advantages for communism can be had even without a victory in battle. Why agree to an end to fighting and a release? Pan Yung Jong, they've been meeting there for over a year. It took them several months to try to locate a place to talk things. And after they found it, they'd meet overnight and adjourn, and they've been adjourning and adjourning. Now, what do you see in that? Communism don't want peace. And when they suggested a peace, then they built up their fires, and the United States let down a little bit. It looks like every step has been for the advantage of this gogging host. Now, if we follow along this gogging host for a little bit, we're going to see what's going to happen to communism. Brethren and sisters, in the 38th chapter of Ezekiel, we find that this power comes down against my people Israel. It shall be in the latter days. And when they come down into that country, God's fury comes up in his face. And we can say that he has had enough of it. And what does he do? He rains fire and brimstone down. Seven, six plagues come down on this Russian host. I want to read... When I was up in Canada, I talked this over with some of the brethren about how much of the gogging hosts were destroyed. I think the whole Russian army and all the people that are with them were destroyed. I didn't used to think so. But I read here now the six plagues that God sends. He says, For in my jealousy and the power of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea, the fowls of the heaven, the beasts of the field, and all the creeping things that creep upon the earth, and all men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down, and the steep places shall fall to the wall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for the sword against him throughout all of my mountains, saith the Lord, Every man's sword shall be against his brother, 
I will plead with him with pestilence. Now, these are the six plagues. I plead with him with pestilence and blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his bands, and many people are with him, and overflowing rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone, but shall I magnify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many people, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, that's the end of Russia, these six plagues. Now, coming into the 39th chapter, and I want to show you what I once thought and what I think now. He says, I will turn thee back and leave but a sixth part of thee. I'll turn thee back, that is, the dogging host, I'll turn thee back and leave but a sixth part of thee. I have thought for a long time, Brother Safford, that that meant that five-sixths of the Russian army was destroyed and one-sixth of it was left. But when you read the marginal rendering here, you'll change your opinion if you've got the marginal Bible. Now you come on to the next verse, and he says here, Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all of thy bands and the people that are with thee. Now that takes them all. And the marginal rendering will clear, clear up that one six idea that I had in my mind. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken, saith the Lord God. There you see the end of Russia. You see the end of this gargling host. Brothers and sisters, we are right up to that time. And Russia is liable to make this move at any time. He comes from his place out of the north part. You can look at that map. Now, what's going, to, what's going to take place? The kingdom of God is going to be set up. And the days of the top period down here, the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. That's in the top period, and that's where we are with reference to time now. There should be a kingdom established in the earth. And if we want to have a share and a lot in God's program, we have to believe the things concerning the kingdom of God. What are the things that concern a kingdom? You couldn't have a kingdom without a king. The territory is the whole earth. Christ is to have dominion from sea to sea and from the rivers unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The subjects. What do you mean by the subjects? We find the time came when the saints would possess the kingdom. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven, not in heaven, but under the whole heaven, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions, that's the subject, shall serve and obey him. All the nations of the earth are to be subject to Christ and the saints when this kingdom is established. Now, if we want a part in lot in this, in apostolic days, before they were baptized, they believed the things concerning the kingdom of God. What do you mean by the things? I think these are the things that concern the kingdom. The royal household of the people that believe the good news of the kingdom. And the Lord will go forth from Jerusalem. What does it go forth for? To burn the nations upon earth. He rebukes the nations. And they beat the swords that they're making now into plowshares. And the spirit is the pruning hook. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. 
Now that's the solution for the world's trouble, and there isn't any other. I justify any man to show me any other plan that God has. His purpose with this earth is to fill the whole earth with his glory. How's he going to do it? He's taking out now a people for his name. And let me appeal to the people here who believe these things, don't put it off. Accept God's plan. Believe the things of the kingdom. Be immersed into Christ's name. And then you become an heir to the kingdom that is going to be established pretty soon in this earth. The law goes forth to govern the nation, the capital city of Jerusalem. He chose Jerusalem again, and Jerusalem shall become the city of the great king. The greatest thrill that I got going over the Judean hills is when we came inside of Jerusalem. Beautiful for situation. Mount Zion, the joy of the whole earth. There we find the city of the great king. And that's the place where the center of the world, the capital of the world will be Jerusalem. And from there, he will rule all nations. And he rules and he puts all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. All my friends, I'll tell you the good news of the kingdom ought to make anybody happy. The good news of the kingdom ought to make us glad, and it does. It's a solution for the world's troubles. And we know there's a plenty of trouble here in this earth. Trouble, trouble everywhere. Pick up any paper, look at the headline, and you see what's going on in the world. Here's a congressman from Idaho. He speaks of the nation's confused. Enemy is winning. Conditions deteriorating. Throbbing of the war drums. The security of this nation hangs in the balance. All of these people, my friends, that talk about the situation at all, realize that Russia is building today and perhaps she's the most powerful nation in the world. Most of you have seen this little pamphlet, Herald of the Coming Age. He gives here, Tibet, China, North Korea, East Germany, Poland, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, Albania, Czechoslovakia. All of this territory has fallen into the hands of the communism since the close of the Second World War. Look how she's building up. And I think that this power is to be Stand up again, we're told in Daniel, the second chapter, that this image is to be destroyed together. And I think the image that stands up will be this Russian power developing as she is at the present time. But the joyful thing about it is she's to be completely destroyed. I think my time is up. I know this has been rather scattering, but uh, what I want... To get to you tonight is the fact that I believe that we are living close to the coming of Christ. And I hope that we'll all be ready. Behold the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Are you ready? Are you ready tonight to meet him? Am I ready? Brethren and sisters, it's a serious situation. It's a serious question. I hope we'll all be ready for it.